Uh, If you have not been with us last week, this week, and next week, we're digging into Jude. It's an amazing letter. It's very pertinent for our times. And uh, so what happened is we are coming towards Mother's Day. and, And I realized that, by the way, I think today really does fit. Uh, It's a little bit heavy, but I think it fits. Now, here's why. Jude said, I am writing to people who are called by God, who are beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. He said, that's who this letter is for. If if you're beloved of God the Father, and you're living your life in a loving relationship with him, this letter's for you. He then says this, though. He goes, but I'm going to tell you something. Well, I wanted to talk about the joys of what it means to be a believer and a follower of Christ and the blessings of God. I have to tell you a warning. You and I need to contend earnestly for the faith. Why? Because there are enemies on the outside and there are enemies within that would, help, that would rob us of the very thing that God wants us to have. But as long as you're beloved of God the Father and stay in his love, and as long as you're doing that, you're kept for Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is don't let anybody deceive you or trick you into moving out of that or away from that. I want you to stay in it. I want you to cling in it. So that's the message of Jude. Now here's what he's about to do. He's about to call to mind three stories that just by saying them quickly, people back then would have known. They would have went, yes, I understand what you're saying. I understand that there's a warning here. By the way, I got to say this for moms. I, I, I don't know if you do this, but I can tell you when my sister and I were growing up, my mom's back there right now. My mom used to tell us stories. Man, I love stories. She had bought this kind of encyclopedia story, so she would read those sometimes, or other times she'd just tell us stories. And when I was little, my mom and and my sister and I, she would say usually these words, 30 more minutes of TV or story time? What do you think we chose? Well, story time, man. We're flying over, brushing our teeth, getting ready. She'd choose one better or the other. We'd dive into it, and my mom would tell us stories. And, and, and we loved it. She was so good at it. And it was my favorite part of the night. And very often I'd say, can I have another one? By the way, not because I was trying to trick her in staying up later, but because she was so good at it. And most of the stories my mom told, it probably doesn't surprise you, had a moral. They, they had a, a moral. One, I don't know if mom remembers this, but I'll, I'll never forget this. She told the story of a little boy who ate everything and then exploded. And then she left, and I'm like, Mom, <laughs> you know, and uh, I think I had an extra cookie, you know, and, uh, you know, but there was a moral to the story. Bruno Bettelheim, uh, a, a very famous psychologist out of the University of Chicago, he was um, imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp when he was younger for being Jewish. And, and in the camp, he started noticing something he never forgot. He noticed that children who knew the original Grimm's fairy tales, did better in the camp and coped better than those who did not. Now, when you think about it, not the Disney version, the real Grimm fairy tales. He noticed the kids who had been told those stories time and again were able to take on the, the horror they saw, the challenge they saw, the evil they were faced with, and were able to stand in the midst of it and make their way through it in a far better way than those who didn't get those stories. Now, where I'm going is this, is that he talked about later on, actually, he researched it and wrote about this, uh, uh, the uses of enchantment. But the idea is that God knows you and God knows me, and he's created us that when we hear a story, that story with its moral will help us cope. 
Now that's what my mom did for me. That's what good moms do for their kids. We very often give this as illustrations. Some of them are fictional stories. Some of them are the historic stories. And that's what Jude's about to do. Three instances in history, three stories that happen that would cause them to be able to cope with the evil that's without and the evil that's within and have them not fall away. And all three have morals. All three have points. So if you got your notes, here it is. Let's look at the first point. The first point is this. Judas telling us, he's saying, we need to remain faithful to the end. He's about to bring up a story, and that story tells us it is vitally important that you and I remain faithful to the end. Look at verse 5. He says this. Now, I desire to remind you. See, they already knew this. And he actually says, though you know all things once for all. You, You guys know these stories, but let me remind you of it. That the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Now think about that. He saved out of the land of Egypt. What's he talking about? Most of you know. It's found in Exodus. It's found especially in Numbers 13 and 14, where what happened is God had sent Moses to Egypt and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh was hard-hearted. He would not do it. And God warned him, if you do not let my people go 10 times, I'll bring 10 plagues upon you and I will bring your nation to its knees. Egypt was the, the, the most powerful empire of its day. And so God said, I will take you down. And Pharaoh would not relent. And so plague after plague after plague came. By the way, why 10? Each time they had a chance to say, okay, we give. Each time they could tell God, we'll do what you want. God was giving them a choice. And so it gets worse and worse and worse until they're devastated. And the children of Israel are allowed to leave. And they pass through the Red Sea. And they make a 40-day a forty day journey to the very verge of the promised land. Now in those 40 days, you need to know this, 10 times they sin against God. It's like, wait, what? You just saw the power of God. You saw the presence of God. God shared his voice with them. And he said 10 times, they test God. They sin against him. There's already a problem developing. God is with them in a very real way, in a pillar of cloud by day, in a pillar of fire by night. But still, in 40 days, he gets them on the very verge of the promised land. And they're about to enter into a land of promise, a land of milk and honey. They're about to have everything God would want to bless them with. And God says to Moses, I want you to have 12 leaders go and spy out the land. And here's the key verse. And see the land that I will give you. See how strong it is. See this fortification. See everything about it. And see the land that I will give you. And so what happens is they send the 12 spies in. And they come back. And two of them say, we can win this thing. And 10 of them say, we can't win this thing. By the way, they they need to understand something. God had told them, I'll do it for you. He had already brought Egypt to its knees. None of the cities there, none of the people there were that strong. Now I know there was the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Termite (laughs) to fight. But the reality is, is God says, they're nothing to me. I'm, I'm going to give you the land. But here's the thing. They were on the border. They were so close. They had just been rescued out. They could have everything God wanted, but they aren't going to remain faithful. They're not going to cling to faith. Today, I hope that's not you. The warning of Jude is don't let anybody take you down the wrong road. Don't you choose to go down the wrong road. Don't you give up what is so precious. Hang on to your faith. Be in the beloved of God the Father. 
There are people who do that. They experience so much of God. They experience the wonder of it. They're so close to everything God wants for them. And then they give it up. Why? Because they don't hold on to faith. They don't choose to believe. They don't stick with him. And that's what he's warning about here. Jude gives this warning. By the way, Paul does too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking of a spiritual rock which followed them and that rock was Christ. He said, don't miss out on the fact every single one of them was, was experiencing God the same way. God wasn't holding back. So why would a huge number of them hold back? Why would they not do it? Verse five, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, what does that mean? They got on the verge and they would not trust in God. They would not believe in God. And then God said, you know, you've already tested me 10 times. That's it. None of you who are 20 years old and older can enter in the promised land. None of you who are old enough to know better can enter into the promised land. I I am going to make you, rather than going into the land of promise, I'm going to let you wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Rather than going to a place of paradise, I'm going to have you live in the desert. You don't want to believe in me. You're not going to get what I want for you. And I'm not going to let anybody come in until all of you who believe are that way, 20 years old and older, die. Why did it take 40 years? It took that long for the last one to die off. By the way, have you ever thought about what it would be to, what it would be like to be the last one. Everyone's looking, going, "Would you just die? <laughs> we could go in there if you would die." Hey, hey, eat this. You know, I, 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 how would you like to be the last one? Yeah, we're praying for you. You know, and now here's the point. God says, if you don't remain faithful, you're not going to enter in. The question I want to ask you think about, is it possible there's somebody here today or more than one person? God said, I want to bless you. I, I want to give you things. I want to show you life you like you can't imagine. It, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, it says that I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it ever entered into your imagination all that God has prepared for you, that you're not getting all of that because you just don't believe him. You're not faith, faithful. By the way, we're not talking about works here. This is important. We're not talking about works. We're talking about faith. Now think this through. If you have faith in God, then you'll be faithful. Right? You'll be faithful. If you don't have faith in God, then you're faithless. You're not going to be, you're not going to live out the faith. If I love my wife, Pam, I'm going to be faithful to her. If I, if I cheat on her, if I don't honor her, if I'm, that, that means I'm a faithless husband. Obviously I don't love her. See, and God says, I want you to be faithful to me. It's about having faith. Notice what it says starting in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 10. Now these things happened as an example for us that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. Now, by the way, Paul said, I want you to know this is an example to us. Jude said, I want to remind you so you don't forget. Just as it happened to them, it could occur to you. It could happen to me. This is an example. And then he said, I don't want you to crave things that they crave. There were three cravings they had that ruined their ability to experience God, and we need to avoid those. Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. They, they just 
tested God constantly, didn't have faith in him. Verse 10, nor grumble, and the word grumble there also means complain, nor complain as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. I do want to point out again, even though I hit it last week, that sexually immoral idolatry and complaining to God are all the same thing. (laughs) Okay? Just want to make sure. Okay. All right. Um, I'm not complaining about complainers. That would get me in trouble. But anyway, uh, verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. This is for us. Now notice the next word, therefore. There's two therefores I'm going to come back to. This is the first one. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, uh, verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. You go, I prayed the prayer, therefore God has to take me. You ready for this? No, he doesn't. That would make that a work. Oh, I got baptized. God's got to take me. No, that makes that a work. I go to church every week. God's got to take me. No. Some of you go, I listen to Chuck every week. If I do that, I got to count for something. You know, no. it's, It's do you love him? Do you love him? And, and you know what? If, take heed, though. He says, take heed to make sure you're right with God. Take heed that you do that. Verse uh, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you, but as such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with each temptation will provide the way of escape, so you will be able to endure it. You don't have to sin. You don't have to fall away. God will help you. Here's the key. Are you going to give in? Are you going to remain faithful? You see, we need to understand there were three ways they were not faithful. Number one's idolatry. Now, I know the vast majority of people would say, but I would never worship an idol. But we're an idolatrous society, according to the Bible. In uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. You see, whenever I'm greedy for something, that means I'm idolatrous. I'm worshiping that thing. And a lot of people lose their walk with God, lose their way with God, because they're greedy. We're a materialistic society. And here's the definition of that. If I said, well, if I only had this, I'd be happy, that's greediness. That's believing that thing could substitute in the place of God and making me happy. If I only had that house, I'd be happy. If I only had that car, I'd be happy. If I only had those clothes, I'd be happy. If I only had a body like they have, I'd be happy. And what we're doing is we're believing that those things can make us happy. Let me ask you, all of us here, are you here with me? Let me ask you, anybody here like me, I'm going to actually have to raise your hand. Have you ever wanted something and thought, if I had that, I'd be happy, and then you got it, and it didn't really help? Anybody ever experienced that? See, see, God says, don't do that then. It's not that you can't have those things. Don't let those things have you. Don't be idolatrous. Don't worship them. And we may not realize we are, but we are when we do that. And it can rob our joy with God and our relationship with God. The second way they were robbed of their relationship with God was sexual immorality. Whenever we're not... Carrying on intimacy only between a husband and a wife. Anything outside of that, God says, is sexual immorality. We cannot do that. And we need to stay pure. It robs our relationship with God. The third is to grumble and complain. Now in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 16 through chapter 4, verse 2, the writer of Hebrews is warning the Hebrew Christians. You've gotten so much. You've experienced the love of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. So don't give it up. 
And he uses the example of the people who came out of Egypt. In verse 16, it says this, for who provoked him, God, when they had heard? Who provoked God? Indeed, not all, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see, he says, we see this, that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. In the second, therefore, verse one, therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering into rest, any one of you may seem to come short of it. For indeed, we have all had the good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not united by faith in those who heard it. He said, I want you to know that. I don't want you to miss it. God brought them out. God put them on the verge of an incredible life and they didn't get it. And Jude is saying, don't let that happen to you. The writer of Hebrews is saying, don't let that happen to you. Paul's saying, don't let that happen to you. I want to go back to the two therefores. The first one in 1 Corinthians 10 says, therefore, take heed. Take heed. Be careful is what it means. Be careful that you take your walk with God seriously. By the way, that's what he says. I want you to love this so much you'd be careful with it. I'll give you an example of it. Let's say you went out and you bought a lottery ticket that's worth $155 million if you won. So you go out, you buy a lottery ticket, and you know what? You don't win. So someone else wins, which is the odds are, and you look at it and you don't win. What would you do with the lottery ticket? Would you treasure it? Would you go, oh man, I got to keep this. I got to put it in my scrapbook. No, you know, you might give it to your kids and go, hey, color on this. You might take gum and put it in it and throw it away. You might even forget you have it. Why? Because it doesn't really have any value to you. But what if all of a sudden you looked in your ticket, every single number matched? You've just won $155 million and become my best friend. <laughs> no, no, think about it. You, you, that ticket, that little piece of paper is worth $155 million. What would you do with it? You hide it? Okay, yeah, hide it. Or you'd, you'd put it in a, a baggie or something, or you might put it in your Bible saying, thank you, God. Or, you know, I don't think you'd give it to your kids and go, hey, kids, look at this. No, some of you would not even tell your wife or husband you had it. I mean, get honest about it. You'd be like, oh, and you would lay awake at night going, I got to get up in the morning because I have an assurance of this. This is assuring me of a whole new life. And you would think, I, I don't even want to sleep because I don't want someone to steal it in the night or I don't want to lose it. Or I, you know, you would treat that with such care. When you got up in the morning, you would drive carefully to the lottery place. Why? Because you don't want to get in an accident and have it burn up. Right? Would you? I mean, you know, and see, you would be so careful with it. Why? Because it's worth so much to you. You would take heed. If your faith is worth that much to you, you would take heed. You wouldn't just go out and sin. You wouldn't just treat God like he's nothing. You would take heed. Therefore, take heed. So that's the first therefore. The second one is this therefore fear. Now, by the way, a lot of people don't understand that the Bible's clear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And by the way, God wants us to do that. God wants us to have a, a reverence for him. That's the idea of a reverence or a fear because we don't want to lose what we have. Now, there's a bad kind of fear. This is a good kind of fear. This is the kind of fear that says, I know what this could cost me. I know that. By the way, all the moms in here, let's go back to you. Did moms ever warn their kids? 
and almost create a little bit of fear. If you don't eat your vegetables, you won't grow. You kind of put fear in them, right? You know, if you don't do your homework, you'll end up like Uncle Bob. You know, I, you, know you put fear in them, right? Is that true? Yeah, by the way, isn't it right to do that? To tell them the outcome of what could occur and have them go, ooh, I would never want that. Um, when I was a student uh, ministry pastor here at Crossroads years ago, this is in the 80s, these things came out called suntan machines. Now, back then they were new, the suntan beds. And, and so I was all excited because we were going to have a houseboating trip and I'm really fair skinned and I could go lay in one of those beds for 10 minutes and that'd be like being in the sun for three hours, which means in 10 minutes I could get cancer like that. It was such a good, no, no that's not what I was thinking. But, but here's the thing. I really thought, well, you know, that'd be awesome. But see, the thing is that only one place in this whole area back then had those beds. It was in uh, just on this side of Riverside in the Los Air area at a 24 hour fitness. And so Pam and I agreed you know, we'd pay the money and I would go there. But because I was so busy and because the beds were so taken, the basically the time I would go is between uh, basically uh, right around 11 to midnight to one in the morning. So I would do my job and I would be with my kids and I'd pray with them and put them in bed and they were real little and I'd kiss Pam, you know, and I'd run over to the machine, get inside, come back, you know, and that'd be it. That was the way I could consistently do it. So I got to know the girl who worked behind the counter, beautiful college girl, and uh, I talked with her, hoping one day to win her to Christ. And I would show up. She'd go, hey, Chuck, welcome. You've got your bed already. And, and so uh, one night I went in and shut the door and I lock it. And I'm getting ready to get in the tanning bed and there's a knock on the door. And she said, Chuck. And I said, yeah. And she goes, what are you wearing? And I was like, uh-oh. And then she says the next words, if you want, I'll come in there with you. I can tell you this, man, I got it. I was scared. I literally felt fear. It, my life started flashing before my eyes. And by the way, at that moment, there wasn't even temptation. I was so filled with fear of one, what if she started accusing me that I did let her in? What if she started making a false accusation? Number two, what if, first, do you realize I'd lose my family? I'd lose Pam, I'd lose my kids. I could literally see Rich and Tim crying as I wrecked their lives. I thought about being fired by this church. I thought about losing my reputation. All I could think of is I want out of here as fast as I could and I'm praying, God, I just, I gotta get past, I mean, I, I'm running out of this, I really am gonna run. And so man, I make my way out of the room and she goes, what's wrong? And I bring her out into the lobby area and I said, I started saying, why would you do this? And I chastised her real hard. And let me ask you, do you think I went back? No, that was the last time. I would never go back. See, fear is good when it's a fear of the Lord. When it's a fear that what you have is so precious, you don't want to let go of it. That kind of fear is good. And so therefore fear. And that's what we need to do. That's what God wants for us. God says you and I have a choice. We don't have to be taken in by this. In Genesis 4, 6, and 7, Cain is so upset at Abel, he's going to kill him. And God says, no, don't do this. And he warns him about it. In verse 6, he says to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? 
If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. So what are, what are we being told? God is saying, you can choose this. I will never let you be tempted beyond what you're able. So I'm telling you, choose to be faithful to the end. You need to be faithful to the end. Don't be like the children of Israel that saw the wonders of God and made it all the way to the verge of the promised land and did not enter in because they didn't truly want to cling to their faith. That's number one. Number two, here's the moral. Number two, we must stay where we belong. You must stay where you belong. I must stay where I belong. We must stay where we belong. Now, what is he talking about here? Verse six, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now, right away, all the readers of Jude would have went, I know what he's talking about. I know what he's talking about. He's talking about the angels in the days of Noah. Now, by the way, that is what he's talking about. Peter even makes it more specific and very clear in 2 Peter 2, 4, and 5 when he refers to the same thing. And he says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought flood upon the world of the ungodly. See, Peter says, remember the angels who, who left their proper abode and during the day, so God had to bring the flood on the earth? A lot of people don't understand that's one of the biggest reasons for the flood is these angels who, and, and what it says is they left where they belong. They should have stayed in heaven with God. Now think about this. They were experiencing the love of God, the glory of God, the wonders of heaven itself, and they gave it all up to come and be where they should not be and do what they should not do. Now, now, an angel, when it falls, becomes a demon. In other words, a demon is a fallen angel. These, were, these became demons. And, and the, these, these angels, according to Genesis chapter 6, came because they looked at how beautiful women were, and they came and took the women. How did they do that? They would possess a man. So now you have a demon possession, and they would take that woman, probably by force, the way the wording's there. Some of you might wonder, is demon possession true? The tr- it really is. Demon possession is true. Last night I had a waitress and um, I won't say what restaurant. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, uh, here's the thing I, wa- I want you to grab hold of is that, that when this occurred, God watched as these, an- these angels inhabited men and then through those, the consummation of that experience, they gave birth to a hybrid race that was large and huge and strong and giants. And that's where a lot of the mythology comes from based back to when that happened. Now, these things did occur. The Bible says it did occur, but here's the point he's making. Angels who did not keep their proper abode, they went where they should not go. They were in a place they should not be. By the way, that's always the danger. They were looking at what they should not look at. Eve did that in the Garden of Eden. There was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God said, I do not want you to eat of its fruit. So what does Eve do? She goes and checks it out. Hey, look how good it looks. See, you don't do that. You don't go look at things you're not supposed to have. If you're on a diet, you don't go hang out at Krispy Kreme going, whoa, look at the conveyor belt. Yeah, wow. You know, uh, see, Eve was looking at something, and then it says it became a delight to her eyes, and she saw that it would be good to eat. She thought, oh, it'll be, and she's already getting closer and closer, and the Lord is saying, don't do that. 
Remember the angels. Don't be with the wrong crowd. Don't go where you shouldn't go. Don't let them take you to a place like that. David was a place where he should not be. At the time he was supposed to be with his army, he wasn't where he should have been. He was standing on the wall of his palace, looking over at a girl taking a bath. And he's staring at her. He's a man after God's own heart. He shouldn't be there. And he stares at her. Then he inquires into who she is and finds out she's the wife of one of his best friends and the granddaughter of his most trusted advisor. But the minute he started checking her out and gazing at this and and in a place he shouldn't be, he was in trouble. You and I need to be smarter than that. We need to have that godly fear and we need to take heed and we need to remember that even angels can fall. Even angels who experience the glory of God, when they begin looking at what they should not have and throwing themselves into that, they're in trouble. And you and I've got to be the same way. We've got to guard our eyes in a good way. We've got to guard our minds in a good way. And here's the thing I want to say. If you're here today and you're involved in something God does not want you to be involved in, he will rescue you. You're doing something God doesn't want you to do. Get ready. He loves you but he wants you out. By the way, uh, I, I want to say again, let's go back to moms. I bet almost every mom here at some time told your children, you be careful what friends you pick. Didn't you? Don't we do Is, How many moms did that? Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? We do that. Why? The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. Be careful who you're hanging with. Be careful where you're going. Be careful what you do. And by the way, I want to say again today, God loves you. And I would hope that you would understand that even angels have to be careful. So you've got to be careful. And you shouldn't play with this. You should, if if you need to do something called repent today, that means that God wants you to come back to him. And so that's the third, the second story. The the third story is a very interesting one. The third story is we need to know God will judge. That's That's the moral. That's the point. If you're writing it down, we need to know God will judge. We need to know God will judge. And he brings up a story. Uh, And now I want to say this before I read the story. Um, I think all the moms do that. I think really, really good moms do that. I think good parents do that. You tell your kids, if you keep acting the way you're acting, I will bring judgment on you. Doesn't that what a good parent does? They let them know. You don't just lash out and do whatever the judgment is. You look at it. In the eye, say, if you keep acting like that, you'll get a timeout. Uh, If you keep acting that way, I'm not going to be happy with you. Keep acting that way, you're going to bed early. Keep acting that way, I'm taking away the game system from you. You keep acting that way, your spending money's gone. Pam just did that to me. And, uh, you know, uh, you know it, it, by the way, that's what someone who loves you does. And here's what this is saying. It's saying, don't get caught acting that way because God will judge. And by the way, to God, these are very serious things. So if you commit murder, you're going to be judged as a murderer. If you commit one of the things that God says is so horrid that he can't, can't forgive you unless you finally run and turn to him. And if you don't turn to him, he'll hold it against you. You need to know that. And so God at times judges. He judges people. He judges cities. He judges nations. Verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these, same way as the angels... Same way as the children of Israel coming out of the land of Egypt. The same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Remember Sodom and remember Gomorrah. Know that God will judge. By the way, uh, the sin of Sodom 
was that they embraced homosexuality as a viable lifestyle. You need to know this, please. I, some of you I found out don't know. At the time that Jude was writing and Paul was writing, the Roman Empire had embraced homosexuality as a viable life. It was actually very celebrated. We're in a culture today that's doing the same thing. And we need to remember God says it's wrong. God says it's wrong. The word sodomy comes from the word Sodom. God said it's wrong. Sex is only to be between a husband and a wife in the confines of marriage. That's what God is saying. And we need to grab that. And if our culture uh, stands for something like this, we need to say the culture's wrong. And the culture does not dictate our beliefs. We contend earnestly for the faith. And if our president says it's okay, he's wrong. He's wrong. And... We do not answer to the president. We answer to God. We go by his word. And so that's, that's what we do. And I, I want to say something that I really hope resonates with, with some people here. If you're here today and you're struggling with this same-sex attraction, I want you to know this is a safe place. And there might be a few of you going, after what you just said, Chuck, is it safe? Well, I want to tell you, yeah, it really is. We are truly the safe place. You know why? Because number one, we love you. And number two, we're going to be there with you. Because I have a feeling there's a lot of people who struggle with this and they say, I hate this about myself. I would change if I could. Could someone help me? And then you go to, out into the culture and they're like, no, you're okay. Do it. And deep down inside, you know you're not. That, out there is not a safe place. Here, we're going to let you be you. Here, we're going to help you work through it. Here, you're going to find redemption and healing. And by the way, you're saying, well, are you pointing the finger at me? You know, we kind of are, but like, get ready. So am I at me? There isn't a person in this room that doesn't need help. Everybody needs help. And your sin and my sin might be different. I, I need God. You need God. So it's not about saying one's worse than the other. But what I'm telling you is, Crossroads family, we're a place that says to you, if this is your struggle, you can be honest with us. If this is your struggle, you're welcome here. If this is your struggle, we'll help you. We want to be a safe place for you. And by the way, that's what Jude is saying. Jude is saying we need to be a safe place. But being a safe place means you're honest. You know, I got to tell you that a mom who disciplines her children, I, I want to oh, praise God for you because you make the world a safer place and you make like eating at restaurants a far better thing. And <laughs> I sat there, I sat the other night and I thought, this mom needs my message. And uh, her and the waitress, I think, oh, anyway. Uh, you know, but, but, but here's the thing. Is, is it's not out of hatred. It's not out of meanness. It's not out of cruelty. Judah's saying, I love you too much to let you head down that road, so don't be like the children of Israel that went down the wrong path, got so close and gave it up. Don't be, don't be like the angels who experienced the glory of God and gave it up. Don't be like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah that angels came to call for them to turn and they didn't listen and they gave it up. God's great desire is that you and I would know his love, that we would never ever start investing in ourselves in things like that. Listen to the words of Paul in Galatians 6, 7 to 10. Do not be deceived. In other words, don't, don't, don't be caught into a lie that God's not going to act and judge. 
God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For one who sows to his own flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap life. So you have a choice today. I have a choice today. If I'm going to live my life in the Spirit of God, and the love of God, and the, and the calling of God, then God says, I'm going to reap that life. I'm going to get the promised land. I'm going to experience his love and joy. But if I choose another direction, and it's my choice, God says, you're not going to get what I have for you. And today, you and I all have a choice. Today, if you're brand new to all this, you can choose to experience God's love. You can choose to experience a God who loves you so much that when you say, God, I want to give myself to you, he starts showing you that you matter. And he starts guiding you in your life. And he draws you close and you actually come to know him. He wants that for you. Uh, and First, Second Corinthians thirteen five it says, "Test yourselves to see if you are of the faith." By the way, why take our faith so seriously? We ask, "Am I for real? Am I for real?" Examine yourselves, it says, and do you not recognize that you you're about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? I was sharing about this message with some people, and they said, "Well, wait, wait. How do we test? How do you test if you're for real?" And Jesus tells us in John 14, verse 21. So even if you're not turning there, mark this down, highlight it. John 14, 21 tells you how to to test. Here it is. Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. By the way, I want to go to the last part first. He said, if you love me and keep my commandments, my father's going to love you as a child and we're going to reveal ourselves to you. You're, not, you're going to come to know we're real. You're going to know by personal experience and by having a personal relationship what it's like to live with us. And the Lord's going to reveal himself to you again and again and again and again. You're going to live life with him. But you have to love him and you have to keep his commandments. How do we know if we pass the test? If we love the Lord and we want to keep his commandments. And, and, and that's when we go, okay, Lord, that's it. I'm there. I really do love you. Today, I want to ask the question, do you pass the test? We're always under the test. Do we pass it? Every one of us. Do I love the Lord? Do I really love him? And do I experience his love? Do I experience him opening himself up to me? And have I chosen, have I chosen to live my life according to his will? And today, I want to tell you, if you've not been doing that, God wants you. He cares about you. Just as we came to celebrate today a Mother's Day about relationships, God wants to have a relationship with you. And and how do you enter that relationship? Here's the answer. You pray and you tell him, Lord, I want this. If you were about to be adopted, and I've watched this happen more than once, we would take you to a judge at a courthouse. The judge would look at you if you were a child of age and they would say, do you want them to be your family? Do you want them to be your mom and dad? And you would have to say yes. If you don't say yes, that's not gonna happen. And God wants you to say yes. He wants to have a relationship with you. So what you need to do is pray a prayer and tell him, I want this. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you that if you're ready to say yes to the Lord, I'm going to ask you to whisper this prayer to God. Today, if you're a Christian and you've been caught up in some things you should not be, you're doing some things you shouldn't do, today would be a great day to say, I'm going to stop that. But I need your help, Lord. And immediately he'll forgive you, cleanse you, draw you close. You'll be back. And I hope some of you pray that prayer today too. Let's pray. Father, I do know that you love us. 
I know there isn't one man or a one woman or one guy or one girl in this room who doesn't matter to you. Every single person here, you know them by name, you love them, and you care about them. And I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would stir and touch and just, Lord, I pray you would just give us a special blessing right now of your spirit in this room. And I pray you would touch hearts. The people who need you inside can sense and feel you. So I pray for that, Lord. I pray for that right now. For anyone here who needs to come to you. For a father who's sitting here today and he's hurting. His family's not what he deep down wanted it to be. And he knows he's a big part of the problem. God, I pray today that you would start touching him. I I think his wife is just wishing now for him and he doesn't realize he could have it all back if he'd just say yes to you. Father, I pray for a, a son who's here today. His mom wanted him to be here and now he knows this is a time he could say yes to you and, and grant her greatest desire. And I pray he would. Father, for a, a man who's here today and he's about to ruin his life and career because he's caught up into something and addicted to something that's destroying him, I pray today he'd say yes to you. And Lord, I think there's someone here today who's just, they can't even have joy. They just feel the weight of the world upon them. And they look at everybody else and they can't even understand what it's like to laugh anymore. Lord, I pray for them today to come to know you and to be, have you lift this from them. Have this be the day of healing. I want us to keep praying. And if you're right with God, I want to ask you to pray for those who need to give their life to the Lord. And please do that. Please start praying for them. And right now, I'm going to lead a prayer. And if you want to say yes to God or you want to come back to God, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. So right now, let's just do this. Just whisper these words. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross. And you did this so that I would be cleansed and forgiven and new. You did this so I would be healed from hurt and from pain. And I want the healing. You want to free me from fear and worry in myself. And I want that. And you want me to be yours. So Lord, I I want to be yours. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me yours completely. And draw me close to you. Because from this day forward, I want to live my life with you and for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, praise God. Praise God if you prayed that prayer.